We're going to continue in our study of Revelation. Revelation 15, or 13, I should say. And uh, in our last study, we met the Antichrist. We tried to consider what the Bible says about the coming ruler who is called the man of sin, the son of sedition, that wicked. And the Antichrist gives us an opportunity to see how Satan operates. Uh, the devil is an imitator. Uh, he is, takes what God does and he tries to duplicate it. Uh, you see, uh, Jesus is the real Christ. He's the re a revelation of God, the Father. In John chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, it uh, Also, in chapter 1, verse 14 and verse 18, it's uh, important verses to know just uh, who Jesus Christ is. Uh, they teach us the truth that Jesus is a living, breathing revelation of God, the Father. Verse 18, the Word declared translates uh, a word that gives us our English word exegesis. Uh, you say, well, now you're getting theological on us again. Well, it's an important word. Exegesis is a word that means to narrate, to explain, to lead out, to draw out. Uh, it talks about an explanation or a narration. And that's what uh, we're trying to do here is Exegete. Now, there's another word called eisegete or eisegesis, which is an interpretation of a text in the Bible by reading into it your own ideas. And that's what where you get a lot of false teaching is when uh, groups will try to read into verses something that isn't there. And uh, so uh, eisegesis or exegesis is to draw out. Exegesis is to put into. You're putting your own ideas into the Word of God. Well, you can't improve on God's Word. And the right way to preach God's Word, to, uh, to explain the Bible, is through exegesis. And that's the, what the word declared there in John 1.18 is talking about. In, in preaching, we use uh, the exegesis to lead out, to explain uh, to the truths that are contained in the text. When Jesus came uh, to explain, to lead out, to narrate God, basically. In other words, Jesus was, was, uh, was, uh, was and is God in the flesh. He was able to say, I and my Father are one. In John 10, 30, he was able to say, He hath, that hath seen me hath seen the Father. John 14, verse 9. So Jesus is God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. Well, again, Satan is an imitator. So in the Antichrist, Satan is attempting to duplicate the relationship between God or Jesus Christ and God the Father. The Antichrist will be a living, breathing revelation of the devil, not of God. He will be the devil incarnate. He will be the devil in the flesh. And we know that our God is a triune being. He is one God who manifests himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. All three are one God, yet they're, uh, each has an individual person. They come together, what we, may, we know as the Holy Trinity. Now, in Revelation chapters 12 and 13, 
we're kind of introduced to the satanic trinity. Satan imitates God the Father. The Antichrist imitates God the Son. The false prophet, who we will meet in our next study, imitates God the Holy Spirit. So we're giving our attention to this man who will be known as the Antichrist. And the verses that we'll look at here this afternoon give us some important details about his mission, his methods, and his miracles. So we're going to consider the first 10 verses of Revelation 13 talk about the first beast. Notice the first, the appearance of the beast in verses 1 and 2. Uh, we're going to see here uh, in verses 1 and 2, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leper, and his feet were as feet of bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So first of all, we notice how he originates. John stands on a seashore, a, a mysterious beast rises up out of that sea, and it's really symbolic language. The sea in the Bible is usually a picture of the masses of humanity. Uh, the individual will come out from among men. In other words, he may possess power that will surpass all the great rulers of, of the world. He will have nothing more, but he'll be nothing more than a man. The Antichrist will be empowered by Satan, and he'll wield tremendous power and authority. But unlike Jesus Christ, he will have a human mother and father. He will be, uh, not be a God-man like Jesus. He will be a man who receives his kingdom and his power from Satan himself. And where he, he, he comes from and what, uh, what, he, what is his nationality, no one knows. One fellow, and I think is probably from an opposing political party, suggested that George W. Bush was the Antichrist. And there's been other suggestions of leaders uh, as well. Well, this one figured out, this guy figured it out this way. He assigned a numerical value to each one of the letters in President Bush's name, and he claims they equal 666. And according to the Bible, we'll see this in a minute, he will lead a ten-nation confederacy and resembles the revived Roman Empire. Therefore, uh, he'll be European by birth. Of course, Daniel 11.37 tells us he will not regard the God of his fathers. So this verse uh, leads people to speculate all kinds of things, but one of the things they speculate that he'll be of Jewish by birth. The fact is no one knows, and no one or anyone who claims to know is usually way off base. Hence, Antichrist was George W. Bush. Well, that's how he originates. Secondly, how he operates. In verses 1 and 2, we notice there gives us a little insight on this man called the Antichrist. Symbolic language, again, tells us about what kind of man he is and something about his nature. Notice he has seven heads. Now, the explanation for this is given to us in Revelation 17, verse 9. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. 
Now, Revelation 17 is about the great harlot or the apostate church that will dominate world religion during the tribulation period. We're told that the harlot sits on seven hills. And there, uh, there is only one city in the world that is built on seven hills. That's the city of Rome. All right. Secondly, he has ten, ten horns. Horns are a symbol of power and authority. Again, these horns explained in Revelation 17 and verse 12. And we're told there that the ten horns are ten kings. And then he has ten crowns. These ten kings will have great authority and power. The Antichrist will arise among this confederation of ten powerful kings. And then the name that blasphemy, uh, the name of blasphemy, uh, these world leaders will stand in open defiance of all that is holy and all that has to do with God. Now, we need to notice here that many believe that we're seeing here a revival of the ancient Roman Empire. In actuality, the Roman Empire was never really defeated. It just kind of dissolved into separate kingdoms. There have been many attempts to revive it down through the centuries. Charlemagne, Napoleon... Hitler, all tried to revive it, but they all failed. Apparently the Roman Empire will be revived again, and the Antichrist will dominate this confederation of nations. Now we're already seeing the pro this process taking place in the European Union. Uh, the Union is comprised up of 25 European nations with five more who are candidates for admission. The land was occupied by these nations covers much of the land area occupied by the old Roman Empire. I think we will see this body produce the Antichrist and provide the ten kings who will rule the world at the beginning of the tribulation period. And to understand the description given of this beast in these verses, you have to go back to Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel's vision, he described the great world empires that would follow uh, one after another until the end of the world. And you'll notice then, as we go on with this, that there will be, uh, Daniel speaks of a lion, uh, pictures the Babylonian empire. Uh, he, he, the lion was an ancient Babylon, and ancient Babylon was powerful, fearsome, had a ravenous appetite for domination. Uh, the bear, in verse 5 of Daniel 7, talks of Medo-Persia, like the bear, it possessed incredible power to crush its enemy. And the leper, in verse 6, speaks of the great empire. It's called the leper because the Greeks were quick to dominate the world. The fourth is, in verse 7, of Roman empire, is the Roman Empire. Teeth of iron dominated the ancient world. So the Bible is teaching us that the ancient, uh, or the Antichrist will possess the power and the personality of these ancient empires. He will describe their strengths like body like a leopard. He rises to power with swift. He feet like a bear. He will crush his opponents. Mouth like a lion. Like a lion, he will devour all who dare to stand in his way. He's called a beast. The word beast refers to a wild animal used as a metaphor for a man who is brutal and savage and ferocious. Like a wild animal, the Antichrist will attack the kingdoms of the world and he will destroy all that get in his path. He'll be a fearsome, powerful man. So that's how he operates. Then 
Thirdly, how he officiates. In verse 2, we're told that Antichrist rules the world, but not by his own power. He is Satan's superman. He is energized by the dark prince. He, we're told that Satan gives uh, him three things. His power, the word refers to strength, power, and ability. His seat, that talks about a throne. He rules because Satan has given him dominion. And then great authority. This word refers to the ability to do as one pleases. The Antichrist will do as he pleases on the earth for a time and will, no one will be able to stop him. And the Antichrist will accept the offer Jesus refused in Matthew 4. When Jesus was on the Mount of Temptation, Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would bow down and worship the devil. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus refused that ridiculous offer. It appears, however, the Antichrist will accept and Antichrist will rule the world. Satan will control the future world ruler. And I think it's interesting to note a parallel that uh, I would point out today. The human heart can be occupied. When a person is lost, the heart is occupied, controlled by Satan. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2. When a person is saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart and indwells you and assumes control of your life. And if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, then Satan is your Lord and your Master. So we have the appearance of the beast. Secondly, we move on to the achievements of the beast in verses 3 and 4. And I saw one of his heads as it was it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wandered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? First of all, he receives the world's wonder. See that in verse 3 there. At some point during the Antichrist's reign, he will die. This may be an assassination or some any some other form of upheaval, but he will be killed. And as the world will watch and mourn the death of this very popular man, a miraculous thing will happen. He will come back from the dead. He experiences a resurrection. Now, I told you that uh, Satan was an imitator. So in this verse, we're told that Satan seeks to duplicate the resurrection. God's son died on the cross, rose from the dead, and the world, for the most part, has ignored him. This man is going to die and rise again, and the world will wander after him. He has the world right where he wants them, eating out of the palm of his hand. So he receives the world's wonder. Secondly, he receives the world's worship. In verse 4, this resurrection is real, not just a bit of satanic sleight of hand. Yet citizens of the world will be taken in. They will be caught up in power and the glory and wonder of Antichrist that they will actually give him their worship. The world will bow before this king and give him what they have steadfastly refused to, God, to give to God. Just as God receives the worship of man through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan will receive worship of men through the Antichrist. He will be getting what he always wanted. 
And men will worship the beast and the devil, and that's a tragedy. While heaven rejoices over the fact that Satan has been cast out of heaven, as we saw in chapter 12 and verse 10, that earth dwellers will give their worship to the devil. And so the world will declare the Antichrist to be undefeatable. What they fail to understand is that there will come a day when Antichrist will be defeated and cast into hell. Revelation 19, verse 20, Revelation 20, verse 10. And yes, Jesus Christ will be able to defeat the devil's superman with no problem, but I would point out the truth that God's people living, and there will be some saved people during the tribulation, can defeat him as well. Satan has power, and the Antichrist will have power. They will face on all who has all power, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in Matthew 28, 18, I've been given all power has been given unto me. And he will defeat them and destroy them and judge them. Now, I said there are people be saved in the, in the tribulation. Anyone that's saved now, though, will not be in the tribulation. We will not be here to face the Antichrist. And we can thank God for that. And then thirdly, the activities of the beast. We see this in verses 5 through 8. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And the power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto them to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Antichrist will use his new profound power over men to further Satan's agenda. And these verses tell us what kind of man the Antichrist will be. First of all, he defies God. He defies God. That's what we see in verse 5 and 6 when he's speaking great things and blasphemies. He's going to be a man of great uh, ability to speak. He'll be able to move masses with the power of his tongue. Uh, if you have ever seen any uh, films or uh, clips of Adolf Hitler, you saw a man there who uh, understood the power of speech or the power of the tongue. And by his words, he would stir up a whole nation and convince them that he would, they could rule the world. Uh, he convinced the German people that they were superior to everyone else. Hitler's words brought about unbelievable suffering and innumerable deaths. And he once said this, you say something long enough and loud enough and the people will eventually be believe you. And when the Antichrist comes, his power with words will make Hitler seem like a babbling idiot. He'll galvanize the nations of the world with the power of his world, uh, word, and he will speak great things, and they'll believe him. He'll speak the blasphemies against God of heaven, and they will worship him. They'll use his words to attack everything that has to do with God, and the world will hang upon every word. He'll do everything in his power to turn humanity against God, and he will declare himself to be God. He defies God. He will destroy saints, secondly. Verse 7 says, It was given unto him to make war with the saints. Antichrist will 
make his mission, it his mission to seek out, to destroy anyone who still worships God. There will be people saved during the tribulation, as I said, and these people will become the focus of the Antichrist's intense hatred of God. He will not be able to defeat the 144,000 Jewish preachers as they travel the world preaching the gospel, but he will not be able to defeat the two witnesses who stand in Jerusalem and preach the gospel of the kingdom. He will not be able to stop them until their time is finished. And then he will be allowed to kill them. But every, anyone on this earth who refuses to bow to him in worship will be put to death. So he destroys saints and he dominates nations. Again in verse 7. And the power will be given him over uh, kindreds and tongues and nations. The Antichrist will rule the world. Every nation will come under his power and domination. He will be the ultimate rule, world ruler. He will be the king of the world. And then he will deceive the masses. Verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. This verse is very clear here. Every person who is not saved by God's grace will eventually bow in worship to Satan and his superman. Now I want you to notice this, that the worshipers are called all that dwell upon the earth. The word dwell means to settle down. The phrase refers to people who have chosen to make this world their home. They have decided they aren't interested in heaven. They're not interested in anything that God can offer them. They have staked all their hopes and their futures on this world. And God is going to abandon them to their choice. I think the same thing is true today as it will be in the tribulation. There are people who are not interested in heaven. They think, this world has everything I want. And I'm going to stake my hopes and my future on this world. God is going to abandon them to their choice. They want the world, and he's going to let them have it. And all the consequences that come with that decision. Now, there are earth dwellers who have refused God and the Messiah, and they have chosen Satan and his false Messiah. God gives them up, and he lets them go after the world and the God they have chosen. Uh, we read about this in 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, and uh, verse 11 and t uh, 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says there, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, and they shall believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, there's a lot of that taking place today. A lot of people who have chosen the world. So which world have you chosen? The Lord would allow you to have Christ if you want it. You can have the Lord Jesus Christ if you'll receive him. If not, you may live, live in this world long enough to worship the Antichrist. Now, here in Revelation 13, the final two uh, verses kind of have a special message for us today. We notice here in verse 9, it says, If any man have an ear, let him hear. Do you recognize that statement? Sounds familiar. 
because we saw that statement several times earlier in Revelation 2 and 3. If you go and read those verses, you'll find that they say, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, compare that with what it says here. Two things are missing. The Spirit and the churches. If any man have an ear, let him hear. You know, there's nothing about the Spirit there. Nothing about the churches. Both the Spirit and the churches have been removed from the world at the rapture. And so the age of grace has ended and the world is in the grip of the great tribulation. And when God speaks here, he does not want, warn his people. He warns earth dwellers. But it's too late for them to repent. They have locked in their choice. They are worshiping the beast and they will die and go to hell. Now verse 10 kind of drives home this point. The whole point of verse 10 is that people reap what they sow. Verse 10 says, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. It kind of reminds me of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, where it says that we will reap where we sow. If you live for the devil, you're going to reap the devil. If you reject Jesus, you will be rejected by Jesus. And the time is to make that choice is today before it's too late. There will come a day when it will be too late. When will that day be? Well, you know, I don't know. No one knows. We're not told what day that will be. It could be today. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. There will be a day when God will stop calling and he'll abandon those who have rejected him to their choice. And if there's anyone here not saved, you need to come to Jesus today. But if you are saved, verse 10 has a word of hope. Notice that the patience and faith of the saints is the righteous is the knowledge that in the end Satan and Antichrist will be defeated. In that day, God and righteousness will reign. And so the main thing today is for each person in this room to be sure which world you're hooked into. Are you an earth dweller? Are all your hopes and dreams locked up in this world? Or are you a citizen of heaven? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? If so, you'll not face the Antichrist and the horrors of the tribulation. But if Jesus comes back, and he is coming back, we know that. We just don't know when. But when he comes back, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you'll be doomed to go into the tribulation and possibly have to deal with this Antichrist, the beast. Let's pray. Father in heaven.